ladies and gentlemen, the Conservative Daily Podcast is back. And the two guys that defend your Second Amendment rights and everything else more than anyone else, Max McGuire and Joe Waldman. Welcome back to the second hour of the Conservative Daily Podcast. This hour, we have a guest. We have Peg Looksick. She is an education activist. She ran for lieutenant governor, as we said, in Pennsylvania. So we're going to be talking to her about education, Common Core, things like that, technology and education. So it's going to be one of those episodes that lots of people ask about. They want us to talk about education. So we're doing it. So don't everyone go run away just because we jumped off of the Second Amendment topic. Uh, (laughs) It's going to be very, very interesting. Um, So just vamping a little bit to make sure that Josh has her ready. If we do, we can welcome Peg onto the show. Um, Welcome, Peg. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So Thanks we pronounced your on. name right? Peg looks yeah, sick? Yeah, I actually did. I used to teach second okay. grade, and about April, the kids got the joke. Oh, Miss Looksick, you look sick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I imagine that would be one of those names that kids in school would, would latch on to. Um, they so we, get, we gave a little bit of an intro, but we always like, whenever we have a guest on, we like to give them the opportunity to say a little bit about themselves and what the the audience should know if they don't already. So we'll give you the floor. Let our audience know who you are and what you're all about. Um, As you said, my name is Peg Luxick. I actually have taught everything from preschool through college. I am certified in both special ed and regular education, and I've taught every exceptionality. I worked for the U.S. Department of Education for a number of years. My job was to review and evaluate education reform initiatives. In the 1990s, when outcome-based education was uh, being promoted, that was the forerunner of Common Core, I became one of the leading national opponents of that and literally debated it in every state but Hawaii. So I have a a long history in education. Um, I've written books on education, written curriculum. I have a website that gives parents the opportunity to be involved. I was involved in the homeschool movement in Pennsylvania. I was actually one of the folks that helped write and get passed the law that allowed homeschooling in Pennsylvania, and then used it myself to homeschool one of my own children. So uh, my background is is very long and very varied, and what I'm looking at right now is extremely concerning for folks in in what's happening in our schools across the country. Okay. Well, well, Joe, do you have any uh, any questions to start off with? Because yeah, I know you're yeah. very passionate. I'm very about passionate Common about Core. it. Yeah, I'm I'm not just passionate about Common Core. I'm I'm passionate about some of the indoctrination curriculums that they're putting inside of the school system, such as uh, gender fluidity and uh, critical race theory. So in your time, can you give us, uh, let's break it down to one first. Let's talk about critical race theory. Um, you, you've obviously, if you've, if you've taught at every level, you've had the, you've run up against this, right? So- yes. You know, what's so sad about it, that most of your uh, listeners have probably, are probably familiar with the musical called South Pacific. And in South Pacific, there's a song that at the time was very controversial, and it it was uh, the main female character and the uh, young Navy lieutenant talking about how you have to be taught to hate. And at the time, it was really a controversial song. And I often think about that song now because that's exactly what we're doing in our schools. We are teaching children to hate instead of embrace. We are teaching them to focus on differences instead of similarities. 
this country, the, the melting pot of this country was really quite miraculous. And if you've never been involved in other countries and with other cultures, you don't realize how amazing in America, hatreds that in Europe or the Middle East were a thousand years old, disappear in one generation in this country because we self-identify as Americans. And they are systematically breaking that apart to people who hate and fear and, and are suspicious of each other are very easy for the government to control. People who are willing to come together and work together don't really need the government. So if you are looking to expand the reach of the government, if you are looking to um, make people be so fearful that they'll accept any level of tyranny to get safety, critical race theory is unbelievably important in right. accomplishing the agenda. Right. Well, and, and what it does is it actually creates a division. It creates a, a concentration point on fear. Yes, right? it does. And, so and suspicion. Yeah, fear and suspicion actually divide us in, in ways that nothing else could. That means you're walking down the street, and I find myself in that place now. I find myself in that place now looking at them saying, are you a Democrat? Are you a Republican? Are you everything that I'm fighting against? Right? So it's working if because we're we we are staying divided at that point when i go to the grocery store when i go to restaurants you know are you a mask lover are you wearing a mask because you're complying or so these are all things that happen and i feel and because you can't see it you can you can destroy an entire culture the way that they're destroying culture by doing what they're doing right yes and absolutely but let me back that up one maybe one step that that possibly people don't really think about America used to have an education system. Now we have a training system. Right. And, and the difference between those two is incredibly fundamental. Education. I, it, education is for the person being educated. It, is, it, it values me as a, a created being. It says that I own my life. I am going to give the, the child the tools to be able to build a life that they want to build. And I am going to teach them to um, think for themselves, to question, to evaluate, and to be responsible for, to make and then be responsible for their own decisions. Education is for the value of the student. Training is for the, the value of the trainer. You train a dog. Right. You don't train it to make the dog happier. You train right. the dog to make dog owner happier training when when companies do training they don't really care about the employee they want the employee to be able to do the job so the company makes more money training is for the value of the trainer we have they began with outcome-based education and now in common core the underlying philosophy is this is not an education system it's a training system we are going to give you the tools you need to do a job that's all the tools you need. If it's not for the job, it's not really relevant to you. We are going to use uh, databases and technology to determine, we're looking at schools, for example, in Delaware, by fifth grade, they have to start with their passport and by eighth grade, they're, they're done. Now you only get the education that the government decided you were allowed to get for the career that was selected for you. And in Delaware, the documents actually say that while parents can look at those decisions, they can't change them. So that, it, that it, is a communist yeah. society. That is what happens in China, by the way. That is what yes, happened in the USSR. Is. That is what has happened in communist nations 
and massively socialist nations across the globe. Yes. And so what we've seen in this country for the past a little bit beginning 20 years ago, more in the last five to seven, even 10 years, is people who are trained do not question. They right. do not, they don't want confrontation. They want, you're trained to be a good group member. You're trained to be compliant. You're trained to go along. You're trained to believe what the trainer says because it's for your good. It's for your safety. It's for your advancement. We are now seeing the echoes of that in a larger society. So, you know, you can tell from my hair, I'm a grandmother. And two of my grandchildren are in a, a local soccer league and uh, this, the, well, they have to all wear masks to play, which is insane at about a thousand levels. So my son and my daughter-in-law, we, we made, um, I went out and bought mesh. So they're really lightweight and that you can breathe through them. Like, like bridal, bridal veil, like a bridal veil. Like a, it's exactly where I bought it. Yes, it's a bridal veil, <laughs> but it's like a pinky color. So you can't really see your skin through it. So my grandchildren are quote complying, but it's a very loose bandana and they can breathe. And when my son put it on my eight-year-old granddaughter, she said, but daddy, there must be something wrong with this. I can breathe through it. And he said, yeah, that's the point. You know, sometimes, honey, adults make mistakes and you need to learn to think for yourself. Hmm. That's called education. On the other hand, you had children coming off the soccer field saying, I can't breathe because they're wearing these big, heavy yeah. things. And their parents... The coaches are saying, well, you'll get used to it. Why you would want a five-year-old or an eight-year-old to get used to not breathing is beyond me. And their parents are saying, well, what? If, how come your masks? And my daughter-in-law said, she's, a, she's a, a fashion designer. She said, I'll make you them. Well, you know, I really don't want a confrontation. When they tell me I'm allowed, that's training. Yeah. There's the difference right there. Well, it, it was amazing when the masks first became a thing and people kept saying, I can barely breathe in this. Like, I feel like I'm going to die. I'm outside. I mean, I live in Texas. And I'll tell you, trying to wear a mask in the hot, humid heat in Texas, it's a it's a no-go. You can't do it outside. I mean, even when I'm just doing yard work and I wear a mask because if I'm working with cement or something, I hate it. Um, but the fact checkers came in and they said, no, it is not restricting your oxygen in any way, shape, or form. And everyone is like, wait, wait, what? We're, we're all experiencing it. We all understand what it feels like to put a piece of cloth over your mask when you're exerting yourself. You are absolutely not getting the same amount of air as you would otherwise. It, it, it's your, your body's telling you that. I'm just, I've always been shocked by it because we're not allowed to say that on the show because the fact checkers say there's, it does not affect your oxygen in, intake and that you can put three, four, five, a million masks on your face at the same time. It would have zero effect. It just isn't true, right? So, and we see what they're doing to the kids and it's just, it's terrible. It's terrible, especially playing soccer. That's, I, I can't believe that, but good, good on you for the bridal veil. But that's the difference between education and training. When we educate, it's for the value of the student. And so they deserve truth. They are allowed and encouraged to ask questions and to explore and to be skeptical. But training, you trust the trainer. It's for the value of the trainer. And we've now seen this happen in schools over and over and over again. The sad thing is I was in Idaho. Um, I was working with the, the, the legislature. I gave a presentation and then was working and I sat in a meeting and the gentleman from the Department of Edu Education stood up and said, 
this is great. These kids are they're going to have their careers by the time they're in eighth grade. And afterward, I met with the chairman of the committee and said, did you know what you wanted to be when you were 13? Because I sure didn't. How can you decide to be a physicist? You've never taken physics. How can you decide to be a chemist or a doctor? You've never been exposed. We are cutting off options at early ages and then saying to children, the tools you need to do your job and anything else is irrelevant. But that's saying that the, the student is no longer the client of the system. The student is the product of the system. Well, in McDonald's, they don't do things. The product of McDonald's is a hamburger. Nobody does anything for the benefit of the hamburger. Well, because and, that's the product, and, not and the this client. this gets to a different subject or a different uh, dimension of what you're talking about. And that is that people in our environment are being treated like EBITs. They're being treated like things that they're owned. Right. And by developing training processes rather than education and not letting people think for themselves, you're taking away opportunity. You're taking away the ability that that literally they can they can innovate and create whatever they want. And that gives all of that power right to a very small group of people that then yes. get to control and treat people enslave them right yes. in our in our country yes now let's tie that to common core so common core if you look at the the analyses of the curriculum what they say is it's incredibly complex in the first several grades and what we see is children over and over again feeling like they can't succeed in the first several grades because they say it's more rigorous more complicated is not a synonym with more rigorous. It's the same task, we just make it a lot more complicated. Let me maybe give you an example. I'm lost and you're on the street. And so I come to you and say, can you give me directions to get to the ABC delicatessen? And you say, oh yeah, absolutely. Now go down here, don't turn at the alley, cross the alley, go to the first street that you come to don't cross over the street but stay on the sidewalk and you'll know you're there because there's a bank on the corner i forget the name of the bank but it is a bank but you'll know you're there because there's a bank don't cross the street stay on the sidewalk and turn left staying on the sidewalk so the buildings are on your left and the road is on your right and then cross well there's not really an alley there so just go to the first cross street and there's a, a red light but that time actually cross over the street and get to the sidewalk on the other side of the street and turn left again and then you're going to come back down and again there's going to be an alley and so you need to ignore the alley because that's not really a street i want you to go to the first street but not the alley. now at this point you're not listening to me are you you're not paying any attention yes so I am. you go what? to the that person and go, I, I, uh -huh. you, lo you lost me at it's an alley but not an alley <laughs> exactly so you you get lost go to oh uh, we just lost your audio no peg we can't uh, hear you we just lost your audio did you accidentally mute yourself uh-oh uh-oh right. josh is gonna get on on the call with her peg is a great guest people saying yes she is we're gonna figure out why her audio just went away she might have to refresh her screen josh but, tell her to but, do that but interesting enough i mean and i only said and i always say this because i think that i i think it's important that we're we're bringing things together we're showing what the what why are they doing this like why are they letting the borders be open why are they giving illegal immigrants 
excuse me, illegal aliens more rights than they give Americans, right? Why are they actually changing the, the, the dynamic of education, turning it into training? Why are they telling us that math is racist? Why are they separating us based on race? Why are they doing all of these things all at the same time? And that I can, I, I'm going to, I'm going to just sum it up for you. Chaos. There's opportunity and chaos. We know what happened in the election in 2020 was chaos. You can say whatever you want about it being or not being. I'm not even not addressing. Let me finish. <laughs> I'm not even addressing that. I'm addressing the fact that we know that there was chaos and we know that evil exists in chaos. So if you want to eliminate it, why I get back to talking about education. And it's funny. She said something. She said, look, in education, you're taught to think for yourself. My daughter is probably listening and she's probably saying, my dad always told me to think for myself, think for myself. But if you're wondering why they're doing all of this and what, what the reaction should be to it, it's not to go out there and act as if we're fighting against uh, concrete that's dry. It's the power of no, no. You get 5,000 people to show up to the school board and say no. And we're going to have a season of recalls. When you talk about the department, the education system, all we have to do is say no. We act like it's so hard. It's not hard. Fighting against this yeah. is not hard. It's no, no, yeah. no, yeah. real easy. Well, I don't want to be the squeaky, squeaky wheel. Great. Then get with an organization that is the squeaky wheel, FEC United, squeaky wheel, right? That, that is not afraid to actually have those conversations, hard conversations. So my whole thing about everything, and hopefully Mr. Booster, Josh, is helping Peg get back on. Everyone in the yeah, comments section out. say, go, Josh, go. Um, I, I, I'm going to say something that's probably going to be unpopular. There are parts of Common Core that I like. There are parts of Common Core that I used before it was even Common Core. And as an example, Mr. Producer, put up my screen. This is, yeah, there's different grade levels in Common Core. There's different um, ways to approach Common Core. Different grades teach different things. Put up my screen, Josh. I know he's on the phone. Um, he's having a hard time doing both. Go, Josh, go. Here we go. So this is one example of Common Core math. On the left, you have long form. On the right, you have the box method. Now, the long form is what we all learned in school, right? You take 23 times 7, you multiply 7 times 3, it's 21, you carry the 2, right? All that. One of the ways that they teach Common Core math is through this box method, which you, it's 7 times 23. You just add 7 times 20 plus 7 times 3, and you're done, right? Like, that's, to me, that's a much easier way to do mental math than to try and, and, and think in your head doing the long form way, Right? It, it, I don't know. I, I had the 23 times 7, 161 like that. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I didn't you, need to go you are, you see, 7 times 20. No. You're, you're not carrying the 2 and you're not you know, crossing it out. You're not doing all that, right? You're, you're in, a, in a lot of ways probably using a, a modified version of the box method, right? You, you, you look at a number, a big number, and no, you I just do the long break form it up. In my head. Okay. Well, congratulations. You are, you are the epic genius of the world. For the rest of us beneath you, we do. I, I mean, I use the box I mean, method of math. I am since a math guy, since so before it was that. even existed. Yeah, great. The box method. I've been using the box. No, we lost Peg now. I've got it. Uh, Peg's still gone. Ugh. Okay, so I've been using the box method forever, and and before it was even called that. The point being, there should be choice. If kids want to learn to do it this way and it's faster, great. If they want to do it the other way, great. There's going to be people who that works better for. There's going to be people who the long form works better for. Um, the whole point, it should be choice. 
But when you see with Comic Core, where they're like, okay, we're not even going to teach this part anymore. We're just going to jump over to this, and everyone's just going to do it this way. That's where you lose me. And that, and that's, it's very symptomatic of, of the entire leftist agenda of changing the way people do things and just deciding that that's just going to be the way it's done, which you, you lose people in the process. You lose people who say, I don't like doing it that way. I like doing it the other way. Or you send more math work home to, with, with, and the parents are like, how do I even do this? I've never even seen this, right? So I, I, I get the, the hate that Common Core gets. There are a lot of parts of Common Core that if you, if you work it through are easier for a lot of people. The problem lies where there's no choice. And they say, you're going to learn it this way, damn it. If you don't, you're, you're failing. Well, there are a lot of people who are very smart who can do it the other way. Right? But that's where you lose me. You lose me on the choice part. Here's my thing. Okay, you have her on the phone? All right. Peg, we're bringing you in here. Oh, we have a massive echo. Massive echo. Yeah, so that's probably because she has it on her computer still as well. Yeah, have her turn off the computer, and then we'll bring her on. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Okay. So let us know. You, you with us now? I'm here. All right. Sorry about so, that. While you That's were okay. getting your tech stuff fixed, I was talking with Joe about just basic Common Core, difference between like the long form method and the box method, right? Seven times 23, yeah. you just take seven times 20 plus seven times three, bam, you get 161. That's something that I used to do complex math in my head before it was even taught as Common Core. And one of the things that I was telling Joe is there are lots of Common Core parts. I said, yeah, I actually, that's how I did mental math growing up. It's just, it's faster. And I got in trouble back then for not showing my work, irony. Um, it's faster. The problem I always see with this is that they're taking choice out of the equation, that you don't have the choice to figure out which way is best for you, which way works the way your mind works, and that they're forcing people to just adopt, uh, teachers to adopt a completely different way of teaching math that not only is foreign to parents, but foreign to many of the kids. It is, but it's, it's by making it more complicated. And much of what they do, you know, there's a reason that traditional math was taught the way it was taught for all those years, because it's how most people learned the most easily. And then if you had a child, I remember a degree in special ed, who couldn't do it that way, you adapted. You said, okay, well, let's try something new for you. But when they brought in Common Core, just like the directions where you totally zoned out before we ever, and all you had to do was go around the corner, that task, find the delicatessen, was not more rigorous. I just made accomplishing it more complicated. And so more children fail. So, for example, I was in New York giving a presentation, and uh, one of the nine-year-olds of one of the women who were organizing it appointed herself as my assistant. And she followed me all around the room, and she had a, a lovely time. And she was telling me that her favorite book to read was A Wrinkle in Time, which is not written at a fourth-grade reading level. And so I asked mm -hmm. her some questions about the book, and she actually had read it and understood it. And then she said, Dr. Luxick, I'm, I'm, I'm really, really glad that you can do this and maybe fix it because then I won't be stupid anymore. And I said, honey, what? What? Why would you think that you're stupid? And she said, well, I can't do the math. And my, my mom has a tutor, and I still can't do the math. And, and if you can fix it, maybe I won't be stupid. No, honey, you're not the one who's stupid. It's the system. But the problem is twofold. One, children do not evaluate grown-ups. 
So when the grown-up in the picture hands a child a task and the child is not able to accomplish it, the child always, always, always blames him or herself. They say, it is my fault. I am unable. That makes me stupid. If you convince a child that they're stupid before they're 10, they believe it for the rest of their life. And people who self-identify as not very intelligent never question authority. Never. So I, 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 I get all that. But so I agree with you. Kids are not designed to to review teachers. But kids right. are pretty much the, the definition of ignorance. Not that they're stupid. When you go to school as a kid, you're ignorant. You're looking to be taught. And I, yes. I, I do think that there is value in teaching long form multiplication in teaching just the multiplication table so you know right off the top of your head what like yeah. what seven times seven is right and then teaching the box method teaching all of it so that the kid knows every way to do the problem and then can decide the best way for them the way their mind works because everyone's mind works differently where i get off exactly. the bus where i get off the bus is where someone uses long form and they get points taken off on their test because they didn't use the box or vice versa Right. That's not right. And right. I understand that, that a lot of these they're trying to build building blocks to do complex, um, complex strategies. And you need to know all the different things to, to to have the foundation as you're going to move on. I get it. But if a kid is getting the right answer, as long as you, they're not cheating, they shouldn't be penalized because they're not doing it the way the teacher wants them to do it. Oh, I, that's completely I agree with that. And, and I, I completely agree with that. The, the problem we have in Common Core is that they don't teach the most efficient method, nor it's, it's interesting because, you know, I've debated this across the country, and what I hear folks say is, well, we want the children to be fluent in their multiplication tables. And I'm like, no, you want them to be automatic. They're not synonyms. Automatic. So you and I are chatting right now, and if in the middle of this conversation I said, what time is it, you would glance at your watch, you would tell me a time, and your train of thought would not be interrupted. You actually did seven things. I know. I've taught children how to tell time, and the first time I did it, I was like, wow, this is way more complicated than I remember it being. But there's so many things you have to do, but it's automatic. Your mind is so well-versed in that, that all of those processes happen all at one time, and the time pops up, and you don't even lose your train of thought. We used to teach multiplication tables, so they were automatic, so that when you got to higher math, you didn't have to stop and say, now, wait a minute, what really is 7 times 8? 56 was just in your head. So you didn't lose your train of thought and you just kept going. At the same time that we have made the process more complicated, we have removed from children the kind of practice and, and um, reinforcement that they need to make the most fundamental tasks mm -hmm. automatic. We've done that in one subject after another. So in reading, the most effective way to teach reading, period, amen, is systematic, explicit instruction in phonics. There is no question, there is no debate, and yet we don't teach that in the schools. Instead, we either teach whole language or a hybrid, where we're asking the children fundamentally to memorize every word in the English language. That's impossible. So let, let me so get to... Let we me get to don't a give kids the tools they need to succeed, and then when they fail... They blame themselves, so they're less likely to challenge authority. So, he, so let me let me let me let me take it even a little bit further, and I'm going to red pill everybody that's listening that's not already red pilled. Okay, 
if if you if you take away the ability if you change the 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 function of math science which they are right i mean gender fluidity in school is changing the the function of science right if yes. you take all of those things and you change them and you take away the ability and somebody just mentioned it like i can't help my grandkids with their math i don't understand it if you take away the ability for parents and grandparents to inject themselves and to help and to walk that process with their kids, then 100% of the, the, um, of, of the pressure or burden falls on the schools. Now, the schools are the focal point of raising those kids and pushing them towards the next part of their life. So it's not even just about tr questioning authority. The parents have less of a role. The emphasis for learning, education, ethics, morals, all of those things now lie on the education system. And if they can dumb you down, if they can take away your ability to think for yourself, the, this, I can tell you what happens next, what we are dealing with right now. What, what we're dealing with right now, where young people get out on the street and yell about things that they know nothing about, that they have no experience in, and that, that, that they, they start questioning. That's why you get higher suicide and everything else. The human nature, human condition, pushes people to know between right and wrong. Yet, in the education system, they're taught, is it really wrong? Is it really? I mean, can't you do this? And don't you have choice? But you don't have choice over here. And let's teach you fuzzy math. And let's change science. And let's not teach you history. Right? So, I actually right. think it was done purposely. I think that this is, again, we, we, we conceded, gave the authority of education to the radical left. Right? We conceded yes, it. Here, we here, have. take it. And by, by making it so parents can't help their children, the parent is diminished in the eyes of the child. The parent is now not the authority figure. The parent doesn't know, and so only the school knows. So you couple that with a system that convinces children that they can't really trust their own judgment because they're not really all that smart, and then you remove the authority of the parent, you, you have a recipe for disaster. Correct. Now, there's one more piece. Yeah. Back when I was... Uh, debating in the, when it was original incarnation of outcome-based education, I did a debate with an official from the U.S. Department of Education, and he said, but Peg, don't you want children to believe that democracy is better than totalitarianism? And I said, no. And the whole room got quiet, and the host gasped, and I said, I want schools to teach it, but once I mandate that a child believe it, I have totalitarianism. 100%. 100%. And the, the guy went, uh, you win. <laughs> yeah. he, he was a very honest yeah. man. And he, uh, yeah, yep. We don't, we don't teach children to be critical. And what we teach them is um, we are beginning to try to teach them how to feel. You know, I, I, I'm old. I'm a grandmother. I have white hair. I, had, I raised six kids. And so, yeah, I've been around the block a few times. And it is, it is impossible to say, okay, children, I want all of you to like all the other children in the classroom. That's never going to happen. People don't like people for all kinds of reasons. Some of them are rational and some of them aren't, and that is never going to change. What we used to say was, you're allowed to think or feel whatever you want, but you've got to be polite right. to the child sitting beside you. You're, you're entitled to your emotions. You are not necessarily entitled to act on them. I am controlling, and, you, and I, I am teaching you to control your behavior. You know, we all feel what we feel. Emotions aren't rational if they were. We'd call them thoughts. 
So obviously they're not rational. We teach people, we used to teach people, that's not a rational feeling. You don't get to act on it. Instead now, we say, well, we want you to feel this way, and your feeling is the most yeah. important thing. It, it's like, I watched the riots at Berkeley and thought, hmm, I used to wonder what it would look like if two-year-olds were as big as grown-ups. Now I know. Yeah. Right. Well, you, you mentioned the democracy part. If you teach kids, yeah, obviously you want kids to come out and say, and say that democracy is the best or republicanism is the best. But if, if you're rigid in that, then obviously it doesn't happen at a lower level. But when the kid gets to high school or college, they never read Machiavelli. Right. And I don't want anyone no, to be Machiavelli. I, I don't want anyone to be a prince who believes that it's OK to do something immoral to get the job done. I don't want anyone to, to do that. But there are times where you bend the rules and you have to. And reading Machiavelli is important to understand what the ideal system is. Right. But if, if you ban Machiavelli, that's the same way they say, oh, we want all of our kids to not be racist. Therefore, we're banning the adventures of Tom Sawyer. Well, no, no, you can't yeah. just say that Adventures of Tom Sawyer doesn't exist because you want kids to not be racist. You use it as a learning experience, experience to say, yeah, see that word? We don't say that word. This is a product of its time. And us reading this book is not reinforcing that that word's a good word. But they ban that. They ban everything because it goes against their, the feelings, what they want people to feel, what they want pe people to believe. It's, it, it's really pathetic. And the fact that it's gotten this it far... Is. It's very and sad. And it's terrifying because you can't defend feelings. So when you couple, so you've got math that is more complicated at the early levels, but then peters out at the upper levels. So when you, when you analyze Common Core, they openly say inside Common Core, there is no path that leads to calculus in high school. You can't get there. It slows math down by a factor of about two years. And they're very open about that. They, they, the College Board actually has, has made those statements. There's no path that leads to calculus. Now, obviously, every child shouldn't get to, isn't going to get to calculus. However, there are numerous studies. The U.S. Department of Education um, did a study, and then Auburn University did a meta-analysis looking at about 25 studies. And what they universally found was that if children get to calculus in high school, they are, by a factor of more than a 1,000, more likely to be successful in college regardless of their race, their socioeconomic status, the major they're taking, or the kind of high school that they went to. The, because the skills of higher math teach you to think, to problem solve, to break things down, to be logical. So the biggest gateway is as far as kids can get in math, you should let them because the, the mental uh, abilities that come with higher level math translate to everything else. And yet Common Core openly says there is no path to calculus in the Common Core system. Well, why is it that when we absolutely know that giving children the availability to get there opens up a future for them, why would we deny them that future if your goal really is a well-educated citizenry? There was a study done two years ago by one of the big reading think tanks, and it said that the average reading level t in 2019 of incoming, high school, of incoming college freshmen was seventh grade. And so the colleges had to adjust their reading list because they couldn't include anything written above a seventh grade reading level. And the only thing that ran through my mind was 1984, where what, you know, the, the interchange between O'Brien and, and the, the main character, where he said, 
people think in words. If we take away the words, we take away the thoughts. If you can't read above a seventh grade reading level, I don't care how many times they hand you the Federalist yeah. Papers, they'll be meaningless. But but that, but that's or, the but but that's the point. The point is is that if Common Core worked, if it did so much better, right, in teaching our kids to mm-hmm. be more competitive, more critical thinkers, more innovative, if it worked, if any of that worked, we would not be facing a seventh grade education going into college like we're facing today. We would not be facing this. Correct. Right? We have literally right. tried to weaken the Constitution and the Constitution of the people in it. Right? And, and we, by yeah, not teaching exactly them right. the basic principles of thinking for yourself, and, and, I, and I'm going to say this just because I, I don't, it, it, it's not relevant other than the fact that somebody walked up to me in an event. I was speaking at the event. Um, it was uh, after I spoke, I walked down they, and they were talking to me. And, and I said, listen, Ash, do me a favor. Uh, we, or she said something about my daughter. And I said, do me a favor. I, I taught my daughter a certain thing. Like I've told my daughter since a very young age. One thing I've always told her this. I, we, we, we may not agree. I'm not going to have the same political ideology as you. You may have a different experience, but I'm going to tell you that I will always respect you if you do one thing. And I go, go ask my daughter. I'm going to tell you what it is. It's think for yourself. I, I told yes. my kids at a very young age, think for yourself, think for yourself. Because if you, if you're, if you're critically thinking for yourself, you cannot align with the radical left. You cannot align with what they're doing in schools. You cannot align with Common Core. It may be an easier program in some areas, but easy is not, is not necessarily the thing that we need to create a firmer, more intelligent, more opportunistic, innovative society, right? Yes, but it is exactly the thing that we need if we want to remake society. If I don't actually trust my own judgment, gee, I really think a man is a man is a woman is a woman, but you know, they're the experts, so I should believe them. I, 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 don't, I don't really know about this whole gun thing, but, well, I mean, the president said so, so we should believe it. I did a debate at Temple University a number of years ago. I debated the ACLU. Now, it was supposed to be the first of seven debates, but they disinvited me after the first one <laughs> and said they, weren't, they would never debate me again. But when it was finished, none of the college students left the room. The ACLU ran out the door, but the kids all stayed. And, and I looked at them and said, so do you have a class in here? And they said, no, can we just talk to you? Uh, okay. Yeah. An hour later, the kid who was their spokesman looked at me and said, well, now I don't know what I believe. Good. Now you can learn something. Because I just kept pounding away at, well, you said this. Well, how about that? Well, how about that? Well, how about that? We'll defend this. And up. And it went around and around and around until he finally realized, I don't, huh, I can't defend anything. No, because you just said, I teach my daughter to think for myself. Instead, we're teaching children to feel for yourself. Whatever you feel is right. Well, remember, if emotions were rational, we'd call them thoughts. Feelings aren't rational. So you've got this population now that has been taught that feelings are king, that don't have the ability to analyze, to fact check, to critically think. And so they're kind of running amok. And they're sad. They're miserable. They're frustrated. That's why drug use is up, alcohol use is up, suicide is up. They know something's wrong. They just don't know what to do about it because they don't have the tools to fix it. And they they don't know how to fix it. And that's what's so incredibly heartbreaking 
about so much of the situation that we see now. They, they actually run away from, they're afraid of. Now, what's encouraging is so many of them are beginning to, to like, realize and look for. So, for example, when Jordan Peterson was at Berkeley, I mean, it was funny because they said, well, they're going to protest. And he said, no, just make it in the morning because nobody's up. And that's exactly what happened. They put it at 9 in the morning and there was no protest. <laughs> but the right. hall was packed because, you know, St. Augustine used to say that we, all of our hearts have a, a hole in it that only God and therefore truth can fill. These kids know they have holes. It's our job to start filling them. It's our job to start restoring the truth, to start giving it back to them in pieces that they can um, swallow. If you are a parent with a child in the public school system, take them out tomorrow. Don't wait. Remove them. They are being poisoned in ways you can't even begin to understand. Homeschooling is not hard. There's lots of support groups. Take control of your children. Don't wring your hands and give up. Take control. Yeah, what you said, I was, I'm was, i shocked. I didn't know that the Common Core didn't even go to calculus and that they just no. leave it off. This time, I've been going through calculus. I, I took calculus in high school. I tested I it on the AP. On the AP, I didn't have to take it in college, right? So I haven't touched calculus in a long, long time. Um, I'm looking through some of the stuff. I'm like, do I even use any of this? And I'm yes. thinking, yeah, sure enough, this this weekend, I'm insulating my garage walls. And I, I ran an equation to see how much insulation I need to tri- to do heat loss, heat loss over time, right? That you need calculus to do that. So I'm like, well, yeah, no, I just use calculus. I, I remember. Yeah, yeah. Like, at what point is this stupid? Am I adding too much insulation? Am I overdoing it? Um, yeah, no, people should absolutely get to the highest level math you can. Because it, it helps you, like geometry, if, if, even if you're just going to be in the trades, if you're just going to be a contractor, you want to know geometry. I don't want to hire a contractor who doesn't know geometry, right? <laughs> this is necessary stuff. Um, but I'm, I'm shocked. I'm shocked right. that calculus right. isn't, in, isn't in Common Core. Uh, they just but completely got rid of like, one of the major it, parts of it's, math. Even if you don't use it, it's, it benefits you. There's an organization Critical called thinking. National Center for Education and the Economy, and they, um, they've written a number of documents that your audience can, can access. Just type in National Center and it'll come up. Um, and what they talk about with Common Core was they said, well, you know, all that math, 95% of the professions out there don't need math above Algebra 2. And I'm thinking, what planet are you living on? But even if yeah. that were true, it's still for your benefit. And what their program says is, well, um, by 10th grade, you take a test, and if you, if you pass it at a certain level, then you can be on the track that's allowed to go to college. If you pass it at a middle level, we'll give you two more years of high school. But if you don't get to the level, then your education stops at 10th grade. Now, they do that in Germany. And yeah. they, the, the National Center says, well, this isn't Germany. You can take the test as many times as you want. Yeah, but your education effectively stops at the 10th grade level. How do you... I. You know, I've taught at college, and one of my children, two of them actually, changed careers in college. One went from physical therapy to engineering, like about as far a jump as you could get. Because when he got into it, he realized, I like this. There's so many things that you, you cut off options. And my oldest son, who is a very successful architect, his first two years of high school, he was, you know, a C student. We fought all the time. And he came to me and said, hmm, I think I want to be an architect. And I said, well, I think you don't. Because you see these grades, I think you, you should have paid four. attention during during like uh, physics and calculus and all yeah. that. <laughs> and so, well, so he was like, "Oh, okay." So his last two years of high school, he was a four O plus student. 
signed into all yeah. the AP courses and wound up with an academic scholarship. But he didn't figure that out until he was 16. Yeah. So, you know, it's like we are cutting kids off. And now the, the technology part, they begin to track them when they're in, like, the very early daycare, preschool, and they build profiles of the children, which is really deadly because it mitigates against children from disadvantaged backgrounds, um, what, no matter what particular race or, or ethnic group they are. The, the biggest barrier is, is economics. So they, it mitigates against them, and you have daycare workers who are evaluating the development of children. Now, when I was in grad school, um, I actually was the grad assistant in charge of the diagnostic clinic that was testing and eva evaluating children for special needs. Let me tell you, evaluating a child under five, you better know what you're doing because they're under five. And so they're easily distractible. They're, they're, they're very difficult to, they're, they're nervous. You have daycare workers. That becomes part of that child's permanent profile. So what if you have a little boy who, you know, doesn't sit still very well because little boys typically don't, or a child whose language development is delayed, or a child who is acting out because the circumstances at home are less than wonderful. That becomes part of their permanent profile that then follows them through. So remember in Delaware where the kid, we use all of that data to determine what you're allowed to be when you grow up. Parents can look at but cannot change the child's profile. So this really is a very deadly system. And if you look at the National Center, they're open about if you don't need it for your job, it's a waste. It's not a waste. If a, a, someone who is a plumber also can quote Shakespeare or sing opera, that is not a waste. They made it's a choice a waste. about what they wanted to do for their life's work, but their life is still enhanced. Well, we remove that from them. So it's, it's, I, I, there's so many pieces of this that are so deadly and so ugly that folks, you know, we use the word discrimination a lot where we shouldn't. This is a place where we should. So I'm, I'm, all, I'm all there with you. Don't limit kids, especially younger kids. Let them, let them learn everything they want to learn and, and teach them stuff they don't want to learn because you don't know if you like it yet. Right. Um, exactly. What do you think about, what do you think? So in one of the things I've always advocated is, if the government is going to pay any of, of someone's college costs, right, through Pell Grants, through subsidized loans, whatever, do you think that the government, taking away uh, grade school, high school, all that, do you think the government should have the ability to say, there are, there's no factory that's going to teach opera, we have enough opera singers, maybe it shouldn't be, maybe the country's resources shouldn't be paying for you to get a, a degree in opera? Do you think that, that that kind of government control, not in saying what you're allowed to study, just in saying what the government is going to subsidize in any way, shape, or form, do you think that that is okay? I'm actually really ambivalent about that because my problem with the government subsidizing it is a lot deeper than that. Um, because it, when the government began subsidizing, college costs went through the roof. Oh, um, yeah. So, so I, I think it's a deeper problem than that. It's kind of funny because one of my children actually is an opera singer. Well, uh, great. And so, uh, um, I love uh, Yeah, he's a baritone, much lower. But again, oh. how can you predict you're, you're attempting to use a crystal ball to predict a future that the government doesn't know? Before Silicon Valley, nobody could have predicted Silicon Valley. Before the assembly line, nobody predicted the assembly line. 
So, you know, the government has proven, look at, you know, Stalin and his five-year plans. The government has proven to be a really poor predictor of the future. And so, no, I think, I think the safest and wisest course is to let people be in charge of their own destinies. Now, government funding of college is a totally separate issue from that, which is an ugly issue and, and mm-hmm. a lot more complicated. But when we look at allowing people to control their tomorrows, the government has always proven itself to be a really poor predictor and a very poor um, dictator, if you will. I look at the system that I fight with Common Core and across the country, and then I look at people like Dr. Ben Carson. He would not exist if this were the system in which he grew up. The, The piece, and I want to talk about it before our time is up, the piece that we haven't mentioned is the testing piece. So the way that Common Core comes together is the federal government mandates that the states give tests to the the children, and then their future is based on the test, and they're standardized tests, and it's a one-shot deal. Now, that is never, that's always a recipe for disaster, and, and let me explain why. So here's little Johnny, he's sitting down in his desk, and today's test is going to determine your future. But last night, little Johnny's grandmother died. How do you think he's going to do on that test? He's going to fail. Did we test reading or did we test the fact that his grandmother died? Well, we tested the fact that the child's grandmother died the night before. But, of course, when you look at that score, nobody knows which kid actually couldn't do math and which kid had a dog that died last night. On average, what we know, and remember, worked in diagnostic clinics, so did psychometrics, about 10% of the test results in these standardized tests are really false results because there's an, there's an ameliorating factor. You were sick but didn't know it. Your dog died. Your grandmother died. Your parents are getting a divorce, whatever it is. Um, and you don't know which one it is. But what we do know is that as the socioeconomic level of that school goes down, that, incre- that interfering factor goes up because children who live in poverty are more likely to have an interfering factor. In New York State, they actually took the the socioeconomic levels of the district, and then they put the the results of the test for the district, and the correlation was 35% for a factor that you're not supposed to be measuring. You're not supposed to be measuring poverty. You're supposed to be measuring achievement. In fact, these tests measure poverty and then punish children for being poor because they have to go to remediation. They can't move forward. Their teachers get bad evaluations, and so the teacher can't get their contract renewed. So the children who most need experienced teachers never get them. This is a system that discriminates against poverty and then punishes children for being poor. Who thought this was a good idea? If you wanted to divide the country, here's how. But isn't there, isn't there something to be said that there is a benefit? Obviously, standardized tests are broken. I, I'm, not, I'm not in the, in the corner saying we need more standardized tests. But isn't there something to be said that standardized tests provide you with a baseline? As an example, this past year, kids have been out of school, right? We've heard teachers more vocal about getting rid of standardized tests for this year after kids have had a year of hybrid or at-home learning. This is when I want the standardized tests. Because as, as flawed as they are, and they're not going to prove, they're not going to prove one way or another whether a kid is, is good uh, or smart. As you said, they can also be used to test other things. So I want every child in America 
to take that standardized test this year so we can see just how detrimental the last year was. Right. So I, I, I'm on board. I don't think yeah. the standardized tests are perfect by any means. But as you said, they do help test a lot of things. They can they can reveal shortcomings and socioeconomic stuff. Right. With this past Absolutely. year, they could reveal so, what happens when kids aren't allowed into school for a year. Um, I think that there's a benefit to, do, to have it. Absolutely. And what we used to do with standardized tests before this insanity was we said the standardized test does not affect the academic placement of an individual child because it is not valid or reliable. However, it can be used to and was used to evaluate the effectiveness of the district because every child in Mrs. Blankenschmiel's third grade class can't be having a bad day on the same day. So it was used to evaluate systems, not children. Now, we don't evaluate the systems. We evaluate the children. And the states, who are the people who get the money to implement the education program, they design the test, they administer the test, they score the test, and then they report on their own results. Let me tell you what that looks like at the end. So Pennsylvania, I live in Pennsylvania, they gave an Algebra one test, and they said, this many of the children were proficient in the first module of the Algebra one test. And I went back and looked at what did it need to be proficient. You needed to get three out of nine correct. Now, I don't know about you, but if any of my children came home with a 33% on a test, proficient was not the word that I was going to use. Yeah. I would have used another well, word. M- moving the, the goalposts. Because they're, <laughs> I would have used, used so another word. The <laughs> yeah, another word that the, your child probably wouldn't have liked. So it's a closed system. It's not what we used to have was the I depending on where in the country you lived, you took the Iowa test, the Metropolitan, the Stanford, or the California. The testing companies had no connection to the districts. They didn't care if your state or district did well or poorly. They got paid X amount of dollars to administer and score X amount of tests, period. That doesn't happen anymore. Now it's an internal audit. The state gets the money to do the program, administers the program, writes the test, scores the test, and reports on its own result. You were a bank. Would you give the business money based on that? Yet we put the, the educational futures of our children on that system. But at the same time, every child is held to an impossible standard because yeah. your performance on one day determines your future. What's wrong with this? Like, this it's is fun. wrong at so many levels that it's almost impossible to describe. It's funny that you say who in their right minds would say three out of nine is a good job. To be completely fair, if if you get three out of nine in Major League Baseball, you're in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> so that's, that's what true. my mind. But if the doctor did that's heart true. surgeries correctly, three out of oh, nine yeah. times, I don't think anybody would hire him. Yeah. yeah. So, so if you're a, if you're a professional gambler and you're in Vegas and you score a jackpot three out of nine times, <laughs> you're, you're the best. so there are there are things. But yeah, no, I I, I get your point. Um, yeah. yeah, they they, can, they control they, they move the goalposts. They do, and then they hid what they did. Like when I, um, I've debated folks in, in my own state and I put that, that, it was their website. So I just put it up on the screen. It was like, you know, it's really tacky of you to bring that up. <laughs> well, okay. Well, so, so here, but it wasn't tacky of you to call a 33% parents thought their kids were proficient. They never got the real numbers. So, they so, never got, well, what did they actually, how many questions did they actually get right? They only got told you're proficient or you're not. Now, if you think back to the old Iowa test, or, or Metropolitan, you got the raw score. 
little Johnny, there were seven questions on math computation, and they got four of them correct. You knew that. You got told the raw score. Now the raw scores are hidden. You don't get to see what they are. Instead, they, you either just get told proficient on a one through four section, or you get a scaled score, which is a pretend number that the test yeah. makers made up to because people like numbers and they believe numbers. So we make up a number. And I was, um, I actually pulled the, the technical data on, well, how accurate is this number? It's, um, you know, it's, it, 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 it could be margin of error is plus or minus three, and they're 62% sure of that. Wait, what? So is the solution is the solution instead of having the state run a test in high school to have the kids take like the PSAT, which is not run by a public organization. It's a pri- it's privately run. Is that the solution? No, the PSAT is run by the college board, which is absolutely yeah. the the creature of the Common Core folks. It's well, no, I'm not saying just that. Is is the solution private testing? Because every well, every organization be that does private issue. testing yeah. has their own problems. Yes, and tests that you can see, like publicly available tests. So they're not secret tests. They're publicly available tests. You don't get to see the questions your child answered before they answer the test, but afterward you can go in and look at the test that they took. I want to see the test. Why can't I see the test? So you know if they're really testing what they say they're testing or not, and that's a separate issue for a separate day. The part of it, too, is why can't we actually use real research to do what's in education. If we know, for example, and we do, that calculus is the gateway to success, every school should be designing a program designed to get as many kids as possible as close to calculus as they can get with the understanding that every kid is different. If we know, and we do, that systematic explicit instruction in phonics is the most important single thing that you can do to begin the development of successful reading skills, why aren't we mandating that every school do it? Why don't we say you have to use the data? Why, why don't we say the federal government, there's a reason it shouldn't have a role in education. Get out. So we're almost out of time. We're, we're almost out of time. I, I was talking to someone the other day, and we were talking about homeschooling. And they said, if you homeschool mm-hmm. your kid, that kid's not going to fit in in high school. And my response was, well, that's the whole point. I don't want to create a kid that's going to fit in in the leftist idea of what school should look like. Lots of parents are are considering homeschool right now. What would you say to a parent who wants to do homeschool but doesn't know if they can pull it, doesn't know if they're smart enough to teach their kids? What what would you say to them? Two things. One, if you're considering homeschool, go to the Homeschool Legal Defense Association because they'll put you in touch with support groups in your state who will help you with curriculum design and support. So you're not in this alone. Two, Everybody considering homeschooling should know that by every single possible measure, children who are homeschooled outperform every other educational um, choice. They outperform private schools academically, socially. Colleges are now actively seeking homeschooled children because they succeed so well, as are many employers. Homeschoolers are the highest performing demographic in education in America today. You don't have to be alone and you don't have to be afraid. Awesome. Well, well, Joe, any, any final words as we wrap this up? No, I think it's a fascinating conversation because it's the most articulate understanding of what's truly happening in our education system. And it uses facts 
to back up, not emotion to back up what we should and should not be doing. It is the reason what you're talking about right now, Peg, is the reason why homeschooling is actually growing more popular at a rate that, by the way, is almost 800% in some states, I use Colorado example, than it was just two years ago, right? That's why we yeah. have charter school systems. That's getting away from uh, public school education. That's why we're choking off the beast as these, these teachers unions that are just basically evil demonic environments to weaken our, our establishment, weaken our communities um, are losing control and they're upset about it, right? They're upset about it because it's not working because we're rejecting it. And so I just, I just want to thank you for coming on here. It's been the most stimulating. I'm actually taking notes while, <laughs> while I'm actually talking to you and I'm texting my daughter saying, Hey, listen, you need to make sure you're listening to this, which she is. Um, because it, it, it just aligns with, I think, how I've lived my life. And, and I'm, I'm going to tell you, I am a, I am a, a product of inner, school, inner city schools. I'm a product of a poor family. And, uh, you know, I'm one of eight. And, and, uh, and I grew up on the East Coast. I grew up in, in the Washington, D.C. area. And, and I'm going to tell you, it, it is, uh, there's not many of us that got to the point where we were able to have opportunity because of the type of system that we grew up in. So... It was like winning, winning, right. the, and winning the lottery. Shame. Yeah. Um, let me just, because what I get a lot is how do people find me again? Um, my website is my name. So it's just online, and everything on it is free. So people can, you know, avail themselves of whatever resources. It's pretty new, so there's not a lot there, but we're growing. So um, feel free to take a look and, it, you know, you can, you can just peruse what's there. There's a cup, there's a, uh, section for adults called Peg Talk, and then there's a section for parents called Peg's Classroom. So people can look at the data, and, and there's also a book nook, like recommended things to read to your own kids, and then ways to use it as a teaching tool to, to give people the support they need. So again, it's just online, and uh, thank you so much for the opportunity. And, and, that, and that's spelled P-E-G-L-U-K-S-I-K, just in Correct. case anyone's listening to the audio version of the podcast right now. Um, a, a little bit different than you might phonetically spell it out. Well, thank you so much, Peg, for coming on. Very informative. I know that our audience really liked it, and we would definitely will have you on again as we do more deep dives into education. So thank you so much for coming on, Peg. That'll be wonderful. Oh, you're quite welcome. Have a lovely day. Bye-bye. You too. Well, that's going to be it for this edition of the Conservative Daily Podcast. If you like the podcast, you like us doing these interviews, not usually what we used to do. We're bringing more interviews on. Um, some people known, some people more unknown, just to try and educate, do deep dives into issues. If you like that, make sure you subscribe. Make sure you donate. That's how we're able to do this. If you if you are so inclined, donate and uh, make sure you subscribe. On, on DLive, we now have the ability for you also just to subscribe. It's like $5.99 a month. Once we hit 20 subscribers, they open up a bigger toolkit, like a private chat room for people who are subscribed. Lots of cool things like that. So if you feel so inclined, please do consider subscribing on DLive as well. So that's going to be it for this edition of the podcast. Make sure you like and follow, subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts if you have an iPhone, MacBook, iPad. We're also available on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Podbeam, go live Monday through Saturday, 2 p.m. Eastern. Make sure you like and follow our Facebook page. Subscribe, hit the bell for notifications on YouTube. Hit that push notification button when you go to our website and it says you want to receive notifications. Hit yes, then you'll get notified when we're live. Text FREEDOM to 89517, you'll get added to our text list. And also make sure you follow us on DLive. That's going to be it for this edition of the podcast. My name is Max McGuire. And my name is Joe Oltman. And remember, everyone, that the fight to take back our country isn't over yet, but the only way we win is if we all stand up and fight together.